The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Is there really a Mayan deity that encourages her followers to hang themselves? And is this goddess still worshipped to this day? And then we travel to Venezuela to take a look at a bizarre blob that's oozing up out of the streets of that country. Is this a natural occurrence? Is it a political ploy? Or is it the key to understanding UFO investigations? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing, and I hope you guys have some awesome plans for the week. Let's go ahead and get this episode started. We got a ton of stuff to cover, so walking into Dead Rabbit Command is one of our legacy Patreon supporters. Everyone give it up for TV's Cody. Woohoo, yeah, come on in, TV's Cody. Walk on in, carry that television set, sit it right over there. TV's Cody. You're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally get it. I honestly do. Just help spread the word about the show. That helps out so much. Talk about it online. Talk about it with your friends. Talk about it to total strangers sitting next to you on the bus. Anything helps the show grow. TV's Cody. Let's go ahead and toss you the rabbit rowboat. We're going to row, row, row all the way out of Dead Rabbit Command and head down to the Yucatan. Splishity splash. Splishity splash. Work those delts, bro. Get them muscles growing. We're going to need them for this story because we're headed back in time to the time of the conquistadors. Listen, man, history's been full of bad, bad time periods and bad places to be. I think ranking up there, probably in my top five, would be in, in South America, in Central America at the time of the conquistadors. It really, you know, it's so interesting when, and I'm not the first person to say this, this isn't groundbreaking by any means, but if you really want to look at what will happen to humanity, if aliens show up, look at what the conquistadors did to the native populations. The Mayans, the Aztecs, these are huge civilizations. They had their stuff on lock. And they got just swallowed up by a technologically superior opponent And their reinforcements were months away. When something went bad for the conquistadors, they're like, okay, guys, we just have to hold this position for about nine months and hope that these ships can get here in time to fortify us. That's exactly what it'd be like with alien invasion. Even if we were able to stop them at certain points, there's more ships out there coming. It really is interesting to look at the conquistadors and the new world and then us versus aliens. (laughs) And we're the new world. It did not end well for us. But... We're in the Yucatan. We're in the mid-1500s. At this point, the conquistadors are cutting a swath across the region. In 1549, there was a Spanish inquisitor named Diego de Landa. He's a friar. He comes out to the Yucatan, and he goes, Guys, you know what? I got 
something awesome I want to tell you. I'm going to tell you the story about Jesus Christ. And people are like, ah, we got our own gods. We're cool. And then he's like, well, no, 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 no. That wasn't optional. I'm going to tell you the story about Jesus Christ. And if you, if you keep walking away, you get shot in the back. And they're like, what? Doesn't sound fair. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't fair. It totally wasn't fair. Wouldn't it be interesting if aliens came down and made us worship their god? I never thought about that before. We're always talking about aliens coming to take the resources, and the conquistadors did pillage all of the gold, all of the minerals, all of the cocoa beans and stuff like that, tobacco. They're getting all that stuff from the New World. We assume aliens would want our water, but what if aliens came down and they want us to worship their god? I've never thought about that before. A highly religious alien race, and they're like, you gotta worship Bleep Blorp. We're like, what? No, we're good. And they're like, well, well, I'm going to shoot you in the back. We're like, oh, this sounds familiar. I should have prepared for this. We always see aliens as very atheistic. Well, actually, that leads into our second story, but I should probably finish telling the first story first. Diego de Landa, he had this reputation. He was extremely brutal, even by the conquistador standards. You had people who had spent months, years, fighting off the native population of the Yucatan, and they're like, that Diego guy, that Diego guy's a little nuts. He's taking stuff a little too seriously. Diego de Landa came in, and he was giving the natives a chance to confess, because they were sinners, right? They were just sinners from the get-go. They had to confess and then convert, or they would be killed. He also went about destroying all the records he could find of the Mayans. He figured that these were just tainted by the devil. This included not just records of their deities, not just records of things that you could associate with their religion, so you could go, these are paganistic. He was also destroying their historical texts, and he was destroying their astronomical records, calendars and things like that. He's like, this is of the devil. There's too many days in this month. They're like, what's a month? He's like, see, God told us what a month was. Didn't tell you what it was, smashing these tablets. He had thousands upon thousands of these records burned, of these objects burned. And he was constantly ordering these natives to get killed because they weren't converting. He's like, he's like destroying their scales. The conquistador's like, we could have used that. A scale's a scale. We need to measure stuff out. No, no, they made it. It got so bad that he got arrested. The conquistadors arrested him for brutality. They go, listen, we know you're a friar and all that stuff, and you're trying to spread the good word. You're also making our job <laughs> extremely hard. It's hard to convert people when you've killed them all, and then everyone else is rebelling against us. He was actually so awful, he was arrested by the conquistadors and shipped back to Spain, where he had to face trial for, for really, war crimes. And his defense was a book he wrote. When he's at trial, he goes, Your Honor, I want to check into evidence. Exhibit A. It's my book. It's available on Amazon. It literally came out of the Amazon jungle. It is, Your Honor. The book was called Relation de la Cosas de Yucatan. Or Relation on the Incidents at Yucatan. The the incidents were his war crimes. He was really kind of sugarcoating it in the title. But the incidents were his war crimes. And we still have a record of this book. And in this book, he's talking about all of these different things he witnessed. He's like, yeah, and then I walked into a village. It was already burned. They're like, what? No, no, it wasn't. You're lying. In this book, though, he talks about the different deities that the natives were worshiping. 
And one of them is a very, very short entry. We just have a few entries. We have one in this book. And then there's two other mentions in two other books that were not written by, <laughs> not written by a war criminal. So they're taken a little more seriously. On first hand, you could think, well, he's just making this up. This is so bizarre. Maybe he's making it up to say, well, I had to be as brutal as I was. Look what these guys worship. But we do find other mentions of this person, this goddess, really. Her name is Ixtob, which literally means hangwoman. So you have a hangman, which would be Atob. Ixtob is hangwoman. There's an image of her, I believe it appears in the uh, Book of Chilean Balam, which is a record of pre-conquistador text that Diego wasn't able to get his hands on. But it's an image of basically the sky. It's like this symbol, it's called a celestial bar. There's a celestial bar, and then there's a rope hanging from that, and it's around the neck of this goddess. And then you see this female figure hanging there. Ixtav, the goddess of the gallows, or the hangwoman. What Diego explained was that Ixtav was worshipped by a very particular group of people. People who were slightly depressed. Now, if you happen to be severely depressed, you could still worship Ixtab, but what he explained was Ixtab had this bizarre belief system that if you hung yourself, she would come down and personally escort you to heaven. But only if you hung yourself would she arrive. And he says, Diego says in his book, quote, they said also and held it as absolutely certain that those who hanged themselves went to this heaven of theirs. And on this account, there were many persons who on slight occasions of sorrow, troubles, or sickness, hanged themselves in order to escape these things and to go to rest in their heavens. In their heaven. Unquote. So it's an interesting difference. We, when I started doing this podcast, I didn't know I'd be talking about suicide as much as I do. It's, it's very interesting how much it does delve into the world of the paranormal and delve into the world of true crime. It's, it's been a kind of a undercurrent. And it's not a cry for help. It's just a weird thing. Because here we have a goddess who you have to hang yourself to meet. What's interesting is that in modern times, we see suicide as a tragedy that should only happen under the most unique of circumstances. Your position's getting overwhelmed by enemy troops and you don't feel like having your teeth pulled out by some enemy commander, so you blow yourself up. You are at the end of your life. And the doctor's just pumping you full of morphine. Most people are totally fine. They understand th that. Most people understand that. Saying, you know what? Pull the feeding tube out. I'm done. No one's going to be yelling at a 96-year-old grandmother being like, no, 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 we have to keep pumping you full of food. Otherwise, it's suicide for the most part. And now people may disagree with me on that, but I think for the most part, society goes, we understand there are certain situations. However, it's always so tragic when I read these stories about, I read one the other day, this girl, I think she was on a soccer team or a volleyball team or something like that. She asked one of her friends, hey, can I start dating your ex? And the girl said, yeah, sure. She went on one date with the ex, and then the three girls started bullying her and 
calling her a loser and made sure no one hung out with her. And while after they were playing the game, no, they got everyone else on the team to ignore her. She killed herself. A 15, 16-year-old girl killed herself. Absolutely tragic, right? Because we all as adults know how fleeting all of that stuff is. You know, the heartbreak, the loss... You know, you lose someone very close to you and, and then you kill yourself. That's what I think most of society, we... It's not that we don't agree. This is getting way darker than I thought it was going to be, but it's not that we don't agree with it because we understand what people are going through, but we don't we don't condone it. We don't condone it when people kill themselves over these young love type situations and then you have other things where families get annihilated in a car accident and you're the sole survivor and again we want society as a whole wants to lift those people up and give them another alternative so Ixtob according to Diego these people had like a toothache these were on the most slight occasion of sorrow that's like oh dude that I have that strip throat I get strip throat every single year and it lasts a week it's the worst Ugh. I'm just going to hang myself. Be like, wait, what? As a society, it's not... Anyone will agree if you have a temporary illness, you should hang yourself. If you didn't get an A on your paper, you definitely shouldn't hang yourself. Right? On any slight occasion, like no matter what it is. Because why not? There's a goddess there to usher you into heaven. Extremely dangerous theology extremely dangerous. Now, there are people who say, this is not correct. Diego wrote this. This is not correct. Yes, there is a goddess named Ixtab. Yes, her name means hanged woman, but she's actually the goddess of the hunt, the goddess of the snare. So it's taking this image and basically creating a creepypasta behind it. There are people who say that he made this up. But we have such little records of it. We have this image and we have this passage but even in these other versions, and again, there's not a lot of stuff to go off of, just the fact that she's hanging her. She's hanging herself. The images of her hanging herself, her name means hang woman. People do think it might be somewhere in the middle. It might be that, yes, she's the goddess of the hunt, and she's also the goddess of suicide. She's hunting you. Yes, that's a snare around her neck. She wants to put a snare around you. It's very, very interesting, right? But see, since we don't have a lot of stuff to go off of, it's hard to be... Because you can understand Diego is on trial. He's on trial. He's trying to make these people sound as bad as they could be. He he was found innocent, by the way. He ended up going back to the Yucatan after this. But we don't know for sure. What's interesting is, to this day, the main belief is that Ixtab was this death cult that on any occasion you could kill yourself and you'd be given glory in heaven because there was a god specifically for people who kill themselves hanging to this day you have people talking of the cult of ixtab because when we look at suicide rates suicide rates of the indigenous people in mexico is double than when you get into the major cities of Mexico, when you get into the Hispanic population as opposed to the indigenous population, twice as high for the indigenous population suicide. So they, the basically the cult of Ixtab is used to explain that away. Why are so many people killing themselves? It must be that they are still worshiping this old god who encourages people to kill themselves. 
Now, it's interesting. I love this story. I mean, it's quite grim. But this actually calls back to two of our past episodes. One, I did an episode where we talked about the country with the highest suicide rate, shockingly. I mean, I would have thought it was Japan. But um, it's Greenland. And the suicide rate is so high because the indigenous population who used to live in the center of Greenland have all been forcibly moved, quote-unquote, for their own good. They've all been forcibly moved, and they kill themselves. They are living in a different culture. They're eating a different diet. They know that this isn't where they belong. It's absolutely sad. They said it even has to do with the sun and the weather patterns. Like It's weird how much of that can affect the human body, but we know that it does, but the indigenous population in Greenland, the suicide rate is so high, it actually makes Greenland have the highest suicide rate in the world, as far as the country goes. Secondly, this story also reminded me, we have this resident lunatic called Max Kramer, and he's a, I mean, I'll put the episodes in the show notes, I can't even do like a like blurb on him. He's a homeless video game designer whose main goal is to wear your skin. And that is that is that is barely scraping the surface. Anyways, I, on one episode, he has these ramblings because he's a homeless man. He has a website. He's updating his website. He said, "I think hanging." Is, I don't remember exactly the words. He's a lunatic, so I might misquote him. Sorry, Max. Basically, that hanging is the opposite of birth. When you are born, you are attached with an umbilical cord. And when you die by hanging, you are attached by a rope. And it basically saw people being hung as the complete opposite of birth. I mean, you can be a homeless nutcase and still be right every once in a while. I don't know. I don't necessarily know if he's right, but that image, right, of the man on the gallows and the baby being born, you can't, like, I mean, sometimes it takes an insane person to kind of see these weird connections, but. Yeah, it is we know Ixtob is real in the sense that there's historical document. The question is, is was Ixtob encouraging people to kill themselves over the slightest reason? Because if you had a religion, if a major world religion today said it's okay to kill yourself for any reason, like that religion wouldn't last very long. We're always suffering one ailment or another. And people are like, well, you know raped up my jeans and these were my brand new jeans so I'm going to hang myself today like I don't think that religion would be around very long I don't think that society would be around very long I'm glad that we don't have a major world religion that encourages suicide and maybe this one doesn't either this could be fake news because this guy was on trial in Spain during the time of the Spanish Inquisition he knew what he knew how bad it could get interesting story nonetheless though TV's Cody. Get your brother Zach and suit up. Call in that carpenter copter. We are leaving behind the Yucatan. Take us all the way out to Venezuela. First off, I want to give a shout out to Soul Bad Guy 27 from Twitter. Sent me over this story. This story actually has been on my radar for a long time. If I remember correctly, it's on the conspiracy theory iceberg, but it's been so long since I've looked at one of those 
I'm pretty sure it is on the Conspiracy Theory Iceberg. But either way, Soul, thanks for reminding me of it. I had it bookmarked, and then I just kind of set it aside. And I'm actually glad you recommended it to me now, because had I reported on it two years ago or whatever, I would have had a different take. This is this this goes some pretty interesting places. It's 1986. We're in a car near Caracas, Venezuela. I'm driving. You're sitting shotgun. <laughs> my kazoo. The radio's broken, so I brought my kazoo with me. We're headed to the airport. So we're leaving the city of Caracas. We're headed out to the airport. And I start to slow down. And you're like, whoa, dude, what? Like, Is there like an elf walking by or something like that? And I come to a total stop. I come to, I come to a complete stop on a freeway. You're like, Jason, dude, that's not safe. And I'm like, I know that's not safe, but watch. And as cars are narrowly trying to avoid rear-ending us, they're flying by us. We watch them hit this patch of road. And they start to veer out of control. And then another car swerves to our left. Hits the same patch of road. Begins to spin out of control. Third car, fourth car. At this point, we're just pulling out our popcorn and watching all of these cars crash into each other. I look at you and I go, what we just saw was the effect of La Mancha Negra, or the Black Stain. The Black Stain, this is a weird story because it's an anomaly that there's a lot of evidence for. This isn't an urban legend. Everyone knows about this thing. From the locals who are driving it, constantly getting in car accidents, to the president of Venezuela, this is a real issue they have to deal with. The question is, what is it? Back in 1986, this 50-yard-long patch of road, a very busy road, right? It's a highway. This black smudge appears. And even though it's gummy, it has like a tarry-like consistency, the road becomes as slick as ice when you hit it. If you walked up and you touched it, what you see is about a thick inch black blob spread out over 50 yards. But if you're driving across it, you're going to get in an accident. And that's the problem. People are getting in accidents. Over time, basically from 1986 to 1991, this 50-yard smudge grows 8 miles long. So at first, at first you can figure, okay, I'm coming up on that patch. It's only 50 yards long. <laughs> that's, that's half a football field. That's super long. You're like, okay, I'm just going to drive slow when I hit this patch. But at a certain point, it's 8 miles long. When it's eight miles long, how are you going to outdrive it, right? You're basically be better off just taking a bicycle. From 1986 to 1991, 1,800 deaths were attributed to La Mancha Negra and an unknown amount of car accidents, right? 1,800 deaths, but who knows how many fender benders there were. They're not even trading insurance information. They're like, I'll see you tomorrow, bro. I'll see you tomorrow when we're coming back down this road. We get another car accident. Let's not even worry about it. You're having all this stuff going on. They're not reporting every single car accident, but the deaths obviously get reported. By 1991, that's when we're having this huge death toll. Everything's added up. It's become such an issue that President Carlos Andres Perez has a group of experts to go and take a look at it. <laughs> he didn't have them take a look at it after 500 car accidents or 1,000 car accidents, but 1,800 car accidents, uh-oh. They go out there to see what it is, and nobody knows. 
These experts say it's a, they, they, they run tests on it, obviously. It's a mixture of engine oil, dust, organic, and synthetic materials. So basically any possible thing that exists on this planet is what is this smudge. Okay, so we don't know what's causing it. Can you get rid of it? And this is where they really started trying some pretty novel stuff. First off, this one isn't that novel. <laughs> this would be the first thing you would try. They try washing it away. It doesn't work. They begin to coat the road with detergents. Doesn't work. At one point, they said, what if we covered it with lime, lime dust? Like, eat away at the organic stuff or something like that. I don't know. I own a lime dust factory, and I'm hoping you guys will buy it from me. They cover the patch of road with lime dust, and it actually makes the road less slick. But no joke, now there's so much dust on the road, people are still getting accidents because they can't see anything. At one point, they just say, let's just be drastic. They scrape away the top layer of the road. And that seems to do the trick. It actually does get rid of it for a while. But the smudge once again returned to this road. And soon enough, it continued to grow all the way into the city of Caracas. Before, this was just an eight-mile stretch of road out between the city and the airport. Now, roads in Caracas themselves have this black smudge. So they don't know how to get rid of it. They don't really know what it is. These are the theories, because they have that testing that shows the engine oil, the dust. They start to go, okay, here, let's think about this for a while. Because this was a observable event. Again, this wasn't an urban legend. This wasn't like a Kentucky meat shower, which most likely did happen, but it happened like once. This was going on, <laughs> this was going on for five, six years. They go, okay, here's our theories. One, in Venezuela, because they're a huge oil-producing country, gasoline prices are incredibly low. So there was no incentive for the people of Venezuela to buy more fuel-efficient cars, i.e. newer cars. So they were continuing to drive these very old, very big gas-guzzling cars. And they didn't worry about it because gas was so cheap. So these cars, the older they get, the more fluids they're going to leak, the more often hoses are going to go off and things like that. The more often hoses are going to crack, seals are going to break and stuff like that. So you have these old cars that aren't on the road in most of the rest of the world driving down these roads, and they're spraying out fluids, and it's creating this gummy substance. It's creating the black stain. Very interesting theory. You would have thought it would have appeared in the city first, because that's where there's the most traffic, and really that's where the, there's the most stop-and-go traffic. You figure at every stoplight you would see the black stain appear first, but it's a very, very interesting theory. Then you get into the conspiracy theories, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. You had politicians blaming rival parties for it. They're like, vote for me and the street won't be a blob. And that sounds like a great campaign slogan, it wasn't just that, though. They were actually accusing their rivals of creating the stain. There was a theory that homeless people in the city of Caracas late at night were making this sludge, which <laughs> making this goo, this goo that no scientist can tell what it is, and they're smeared it on the road to ruin the infrastructure. After 10 years, enough was enough in 1996. This special cleaning equipment was brought in from Germany to scrub the streets. And it worked. It worked. It was super efficient. 
It actually removed the black stain from the asphalt for about five years. In 2001, the stain appeared again, this time on multiple roads throughout the entire region. They don't really know what it is. I don't know if it's a current problem. Now you figure they know what the fix is, right? It's to bring in that stuff from Germany. But I'm sure I'm sure the Germans, they probably just built a factory there and are selling it directly because they're using it all the time. I don't know how big of a problem it is today, but you'll find a lot of resources talking about the old events, the La Mancha Negra from 1986 until 2001. You see a lot of articles with that. But let's take another look at this story because I thought this was... A really interesting way to wrap up this week. And I got to give a shout out to the website Today I Found Out. And there's an article on there written by Melissa about La Mancha Negra. And she actually gave me, she gave me a good idea. So I got to give a shout out to her. She basically says that the, the La Mancha Negra, while a real phenomenon was exaggerated. It didn't really kill 1,800 people. It was exaggerated. Like, it does exist, but people made it out to be more than it is. And they also talk about in news articles back then that the government was spending millions of dollars to clean this up. And she goes, where did the millions of dollars go? Like, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money, right? Where is it going? And she goes, it could be corruption at the local level. It could have been mismanaged. But even though millions of dollars were being spent, she goes, they never could even find out exactly what it was. Like... Where did this millions of dollars actually go? And I thought, that actually is a really good cover. Create a problem that doesn't need to be solved, right? It makes the ground a little sticky. Makes the ground a little slick. I'll agree with that. It might even encompass eight miles of roadway. But it could be the same thing when you hit melted tar. Now, you tell people the road's super dangerous, it's super slick, but it's not. You tell people that 1,800 people have died there in the past five years, but it hasn't. You get people so ginned up about it that when you ask for millions of dollars to investigate it, well, of course, because I don't want to be number 1,801, give them all the money they need to fix it. But they can never fix it. They didn't even figure out what it was. This is my rant for the day, and I'll try to keep it short. I think all of this congressional UFO investigation stuff is a racket. I think this might be one of the most dangerous things I've said on this podcast, actually. I think it's possible that this UAP UFO commission, that Congress is looking into what these types of vehicles are, is, in a sense, a money laundering scheme. Because think about it. We want to know what they are. As a society, we're super curious. As a country, we're... We want to make sure they're not our enemies. And as fans of the paranormal, we would love for the government to actively be investigating this type of stuff. And I think at some level of government, they go, you know what? We can funnel millions, if not billions, into an investigation that people want, that people are demanding. And here's the beautiful thing. We don't have to tell them anything. We can keep this going for years and years and years and years and years. And we have assets in the UFO community that will keep saying, 36 hours from now, there's going to be a new revelation. Everyone's going to get super excited. But then he can't say nothing like, oh, no, I was told that I can't release it. It's too early to release it. We see that all the time in UFOlogy. 
you have a congressional body funneling money through it. Millions, if not billions of dollars going into the investigation of what they now call UAPs, or Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. And so now the Intelligence Authorization Act for fiscal year 2023, there's an addendum to that that talks about trying to figure out what these quote-unquote transmedium threats are. And what's interesting is that in this addendum, they specifically are talking about transmedium threats, which are vehicles that can move from water to air to space. That is so rare in UFO lore. It's not that it never happens. We do have, we have a term for it, USOs, Unidentified Submerged Objects. But when you think about the grand scope of UFO lore, a transmedium object is not the mainstay of it. It's usually UFOs. I think the percentage of underwater sightings we've had, and I mean, it's opposed to all UFO sightings combined, the ones where we either see things underwater or ships, we see ships go underwater is what? Like maybe, I'm going to highball it, 3%. And that's being super generous. I think it's way lower than that. It's probably less than 1%. You go, Jason, well, that's just observer's bias. There's less people out in the water to see these things lifting up. Okay, fair enough. But I don't think it's the majority of sightings. It's not even close to that. So why are they focusing on a type of vehicle that's one of the most rare types of sightings? They are not just talking about UFOs. They're not just talking about UAPs. They're talking about, quote-unquote, unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena. It's almost like they picked something that, think about it this way, if you were going, say you were going to investigate ghosts, you were going to prove the existence of life after death, and you say, I only want to investigate ghosts that possess dolls. That's it. I'm only going to look at doll possessions that make the dolls walk around like Chucky. That's all I'm going to look at. I'm not going to look at ghosts of people who died tragically and that their death is playing out over and over again. I'm not going to look at stories of ghosts who died in some sort of mine explosion. You can still hear their voices coming from the bowels of the cave. I'm not even going to look at ghosts of plates like floating around poltergeist activity. I'm only going to investigate dolls that are animated by ghosts, which again is one of the rarest phenomenon. I think even that Robert the Doll doesn't even move, right? It, Robert the Doll's the most famous one, and then Annabelle is like some Raggedy Ann thing in Zach Baggins' museum. It's not even close to the top 10, maybe not even the top 20 types of ghostly activity, but that's the only thing I'm going to investigate. That's what I'm looking into. Give me millions of dollars. And you look at that, and you're like, yeah, dude, I want to find out if there is life after death. I want to find out. This guy's going to investigate ghosts if we give him this Kickstarter. We're going to give him this money. And he's investigating something he knows he'll never find. And so what will happen is when they come forward with a report, they're like, yeah, we are really looking for these transmedium ships. We couldn't find anything. Well, yeah, that's not what we're looking for, though. They have such a narrow focus that when they come out and go, we didn't find anything, it's because you weren't looking at the phenomenon as a whole. You were looking at such a narrow view of it, and it took you millions upon millions upon millions of taxpayers' dollars to say we didn't find anything. People will be like, oh... They're like, but if you give us more money, 
it's not already a way to siphon taxpayer money and move it to some other project that you really want to do, you don't want on the books, you want to buy a bunch of Stinger missiles and send them somewhere, or you just want to fatten some senators' pockets, this would be the way to do it. After five years of this, when people go, hey, what happened to all that money? First off, we won't ever know. We will never know the budget for this UAP committee. Because they'll be like, that's classified. But who knows how much money it's going to be? And then after five years, we go, hey, so what's going on with that? They'll be like, that's classified. And then another five years and people will be like, we demand transparency. We want to know what's going on with that UFO commission. They'll release a booklet with a bunch of stuff redacted and just enough morsels in it for us to renew their contract, for us to give them more funding for the next 5, 10, 15 years. Yeah, I would not put it past the American government. I wouldn't put it past any government, really. We know they all lie to their people, right? That's just, unfortunately, how governments work. But to be that corrupt, to say, give us the money, we'll investigate it. They already know the answers to most of this, but they also know that we are willing. We're demanding. We are demanding these hearings. We've been demanding them for 30, 40, 50 years. And now they're like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. I think I, that's just that's just the theory I have. That this whole UFO... Because people are asking. I actually read a really cool series of articles from Vice written by Matthew Galt. And people are asking, like, why now? Why are they looking so much into the UFO stuff now? Because they denied it for years and years and years. Why is it so important for them? And not that they... Because I think they've always investigated it, but why now are they trying to be open about it? They've opened recently a new office, the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. And see, they're always talking about the underwater to air to space. And I'm not saying those don't exist. I know that those stories happen in UFOlogy, but I just find it so weird that that's the one they're fixated on, even though that's not even close to the most common. People want it investigated. They're willing to spend money to have it investigated. And they're willing to accept the answer, sorry, either we can't tell you or we can only tell you this little bit. Or after all of our investigation, we didn't find anything. But then again, we looked at such a specific narrow view of the phenomenon. We weren't going to find anything in the first place. I think the government's taking advantage of our quest for truth, our quest for knowledge. They know we'll never take it doesn't exist for an answer because we've never taken that for an answer. And that's what makes this meal so delicious to them. They can keep saying, we'll just investigate a little bit longer. We'll just investigate a little bit longer. Here's a little tidbit. Well, we're going to investigate a little bit longer. And they can just keep siphoning millions, 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 millions of dollars. It's the perfect plan. And it already happened in Venezuela. Hopefully that's not the case, but I really would, I would be shocked. I would honestly, if a, if I had proof that alien life existed, I would be less shocked by that than I would be shocked by the U.S. government saying, "Hey, sorry guys, we knew alien life existed 50 years ago, but we didn't tell you." I honestly believe we'll know aliens exist before that, and I would be more shocked if the U.S. government actually came clean about what they know and what they don't know than the fact that we are not alone in this universe. But hopefully I'm wrong and the commission figures some stuff out. But time will tell. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. I'm hoarse from doing all that talking. (laughs) Uh, TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. 
Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys.